ideal equipment for an audio podcasting studio. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 241. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is the award-winning how-to podcast about podcasting. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I've been doing this little mini-series recently of talking about your podcasting studio. And in this episode, I want to focus on the equipment for your podcasting studio and specifically audio-only equipment. So some of this might carry over to video, but video audio equipment needs are very different from audio-only audio equipment needs. So I'll have a separate episode next time talking about video equipment, including what kind of audio equipment you might want to consider for video. But this is the actual stuff that you plug in, connect, that you power, that's handling the recording of your audio. I've talked previously about treating your room for audio and ensuring that you're farther away from noise, you turn off the noise, you're distant from your reverb or you've reduced that reverb, that kind of stuff. But let's focus in on the actual equipment. I won't focus in so much on the specific pieces of equipment that I recommend for each category, but I do have some links in the show notes for this episode, number 241 at slash ideal audio. And if you're interested in purchasing some of that, do let me know because I might be able to sell the equipment directly to you in case you don't want to go through Amazon or one of those other things. And if you're a member of Podcaster Society and you want to buy any of this equipment, definitely let me know because as a member of Podcaster Society, you get an exclusive discount on podcasting equipment. So I have several categories of equipment that you need to consider for your audio podcasting studio. For the rest of this episode, when I refer to your podcast, I am referring to your audio-only podcast. That's what you're focused on. There may be a live streaming video aspect to it, but your primary distribution format is audio. That's the assumption I'm making for this specific episode when I talk about your podcasts and podcasting in this episode. So I'll be talking to you about, number one, your microphones, number two, microphone accessories, number three, headphones, number four, recorder, number five, a mixer, number six, live streaming interface, number seven, audio processor. You can follow along in the show notes and get the links and resources that I mentioned for episode 241 at slash ideal audio. Let's start with number one, microphones. The quality of your recording really starts first with you. It's your voice, your mic technique, your speaking style, your ability to enunciate, to project your voice. All of that is what really affects the quality of your audio first and foremost. But the first piece of equipment that picks up your voice and thus affects how your voice is recorded is your microphone. You do need good mic technique because you could get a $2,000 microphone and put it on the other side of the room and it will sound like trash with your voice. But if you get close to that microphone and you have the proper mic technique, 
you can make it sound great. You can even make a built-in microphone on a computer as bad as they usually sound. You can make it sound a lot better simply by getting close. That's the thing you need to know about most microphones is they do have this ideal spot or the sweet spot where the microphone will sound the best. For most microphones, that's about four to six inches or 10 to 15 centimeters away from wherever the microphone is picking up. Some microphones are end-to-fire microphones, so it's picking up from the end of the microphone. Others are side-address microphones, so they pick up from the side of the microphone. Typically, dynamic microphones pick up from the end, and condenser microphones pick up from the sides. There are variations to that, of course, but that's how it usually is. When you're in that sweet spot, that zone of about 4 to 6 inches or 10 to 15 centimeters, that's when the microphone will pick up more of your voice than anything else. It won't pick up as much reverb or it won't pick up as much room noise and other things that might be going on outside of your little recording studio. And again, studio is simply wherever you're recording, even if you don't have a professional studio. So when you get close to the microphone, it means that it can hear you more than those other things. So then those other noises would either be completely not picked up by the microphone, or they might be quiet enough that they're not a distraction, or they might be quiet enough that if you need to do any kind of processing on your audio, it will be pretty easy because it's so quiet, you only have to reduce it a little bit more to remove that noise, or reduce it so it's no longer distracting. Because most podcasters are not in a professional, soundproof, acoustically treated studio, a large diaphragm dynamic microphone is usually the best choice. There are a lot of different microphones you could get in different types and condenser microphones, ribbon microphones and such, and they all have their certain purposes, and they may sound better for certain voices than others. But in a podcasting studio, there are other things that we need to think about, like the noise your computer makes, or the lights in your room, or the reverb coming off the walls, and how close you need to be to the microphone, and that kind of stuff. That's why we generally recommend a dynamic microphone, a large diaphragm dynamic microphone for most podcasters, because it works really well in most home podcasting studios, even if that studio is in your basement, in your kitchen, in your closet, wherever it is. So when you're looking at getting a microphone for your podcast, either you're starting out or you're thinking of upgrading or you're thinking of adding an additional microphone, get a microphone that will grow with your podcasting needs. This is why I do not recommend USB-only microphones. They don't scale well. For example, combining multiple USB microphones or combining them with remote co-hosts or live sound effects or live streaming can all be really difficult or nearly impossible unless you make some other big sacrifices like not using the software you want to use or not streaming to the platform you want to stream to, that kind of thing. There are some microphones I recommend and I have these links in the show notes and I'll let you know. As of 2015, but definitely look at the show notes if you ever want to know if this has been updated. That's at theaudacitypodcast.com slash ideal audio. As of 2015, there are essentially three microphones I recommend. If you're just starting out or you're on a tight budget, then consider the Audio-Technica ATR2100 USB microphone. This is a USB and XLR cardioid dynamic microphone 
that's usually between $50 and $60 US, but sometimes it's as low as $35. The reason this microphone is so popular is because for the price, it's really good. It's not the absolute best microphone, but it is really good and it's very flexible. It can connect directly to a PC that is running Windows, OS X, or Linux via USB, and it can also connect to many mobile devices if you have some kind of USB camera connection kit or adapter for your mobile device. And it can also connect to professional audio equipment via the XLR port. So if you get this microphone when you're just starting out, you don't have to throw away the microphone when you someday get professional audio equipment because you can continue using that microphone or use it as an add-on microphone or a secondary microphone. The reason I recommend the ATR2100 USB over some of the other very similar microphones like the AT2005 USB or the Samsung Q2U is that the ATR2100 USB has a lifetime warranty which is very good because there are some aspects of the microphone that if you move them around a lot or drop the microphone, it's possible that maybe the USB port could go bad on it. If you never use the USB port, then it might not be a problem. But I had one go bad actually recently. But thanks to that lifetime warranty, I got it replaced. All I had to do was pay for my shipping to send the microphone into them, and it was replaced fairly quickly. That's why this microphone is so popular, and that's why the price has gone up significantly over the years, because there's a lot more demand for this microphone. If you're in a country, though, where you can't get the ATR2100 USB affordably, then do look at the AT2005 USB or the Samsung Q2U. These are very similar microphones and produce very similar quality and have really the same features. They're also USB and XLR microphones. But both of these other microphones have only one-year warranties, which might be an important thing for you. But if you're talking about paying twice as much for the ATR2100 in your country, then maybe it'd be better to go with the cheaper version and hope that you don't have to use that warranty someday. But that's on the low-end side of microphones. On the higher-end side, without getting too extreme and buying a $1,000 or $2,000 microphone, I recommend either the ElectroVoice RE320 or the Heil PR40. Both of these microphones are around $300 to $325, and they do produce superior sound. These make very professional, high-quality audio accessible to the average uh, prosumer. I think that the ElectroVoice RE320 is a bit more universal for most voices in that it will enhance the right things and not enhance the wrong things. And the RE320 has this variable D effect, which reduces what we call the proximity effect, where when you get really close to the microphone, you get a more bassy response. So the RE320 has this built in and to prevent that. And it produces the audio in a very accurate way. And I think it works great for probably most voices. This microphone will generally be the most compatible with the most voices. But the Heil PR40 gives a little bit of a different frequency response that gives a little bit of a bass boost, a little bit more presence. And I think that that microphone is great if you have a non-sibilant and a slightly higher pitched voice. My own voice is more sibilant than I thought it was, and it's a lower voice, so the Heil Pure 40 might not be the best microphone for me. 
But what the Heil PR40 is nicely designed to do is to have some really good off-axis rejection. As I demonstrated in a previous episode, you could talk behind this microphone and almost not be picked up at all. That means there's going to be a lot less reverb picked up by the microphone, a lot less crosstalk if you're using multiple microphones facing away from each other. So the PR40 and the RE320 both have some great features designed into them. Pick whichever one works best for your own voice, and it may make a small difference to your budget. These microphones are really only about $300 or $325. They're not that different in their prices. But I can sell you either of these microphones if you're interested, especially if you're in Podcaster Society. You get an exclusive discount on audio equipment there. This suggestion list, as short as it is, I think will work for most podcasters. Yes, there are other microphones that may be better in other cases, maybe cheaper, more expensive, better quality, and such. It all really depends on your voice, and you could go into like a guitar center or maybe you're near B&H or just go through a long process of going back and forth ordering microphones and testing them. But here's my suggestion. Don't. Get the microphone that works for you. I made this really simple by recommending really essentially two microphones. On the low end, the ATR2100 USB. On the high end, the RE320. I think those two microphones will work for most people and they're very compatible with most budgets. Don't worry so much about picking the perfect microphone for your voice. It can take you a long time to do that. And when you're trying to do that, you're preventing your own message from being broadcast to the world. That's what you need to focus on. Create great content. Worry about the microphones later. You can worry about getting the right microphone when you're ready to upgrade or when you have more money to just waste on switching out microphones or anything like that. For now, just get what works. Don't worry about having the perfect microphone for your voice. If you have a more sibilant voice or a more raspy voice or a bassy voice or anything like that and you think your microphone's not quite good enough for that, don't worry. You can do a little bit of EQ. You can do some effects in processing or on your mixer to make it a little bit better for your voice. Don't worry about making it perfect. What's most important for you is how you use that microphone and really most important is the message that you share with your audience. Don't get distracted by finding the right microphone. If you want an update on these microphones, then definitely subscribe to my email list and check back in the show notes for episode 241 to see if I've updated it in years from now. And that's at theaudacitypodcast.com slash ideal audio. So this is number one, your microphone. Number two, microphone accessories. A microphone alone is usually not enough for recording your podcast well. And in order of priority, I recommend the following accessories that you could consider. They're not all necessary, but you might want to consider these. Number one, a mic stand or a boom. The reason I make this the highest priority is because if you can't get the microphone close to your mouth within that sweet spot of four to six inches or 10 to 15 centimeters, then the microphone won't do its job very well. You're making it work harder and you'll pick up more reverb. If you get, for example, the Audio-Technica ATR2100 USB, it comes with this tiny little mic stand, which can work if you have a table or surface that's up close to you. But for others, that little mic stand might not bring the microphone close enough to your mouth. So you might need to consider phone books or 
look at getting a better mic stand or a boom. A mic stand is what you would see on stage typically, where it's a microphone that's standing on a straight up stand that might have an angle to it, but it's sitting on the ground, standing up, holding the microphone. A boom or a boom arm is something that might be coming from more like an overhead thing, sometimes also called an overhead boom. Like I use a Heil PL2T, which is my favorite boom arm because it nicely hides the cables. It's very high quality too. But that boom can allow you to place the microphone wherever you want without having to mess with where the footprint of the mic stand is and whether you'll bump that or can it reach to you and what's the weight and balance of your microphone and all of that stuff. Whichever option you choose, just get the microphone close to your mouth. That's the most important thing. Number two, your pop filter or windscreen. This prevents those plosives that would typically happen with the puffs of air that come from your mouth from letters like P's and T's and some other letters depending on how you breathe with your voice and how you form your own words and consonants and syllables and all of that stuff. A pop filter isn't always necessary though, or a windscreen. A pop filter is usually a disc of some sort that goes in front of the microphone. There might be multiple layers or a single layer. A windscreen fits over the microphone. These can change the dynamics of the sound a little bit, and they're useful in different circumstances. Like a windscreen is better when you're outside to protect against the wind. A pop filter is better when you're in the studio as it protects just the end of the microphone or wherever the audio is supposed to go into the microphone. If it's a side address microphone, then the pop filter protects the side of the microphone. If you have really good mic technique and you position the microphone well, you might not need a pop filter as much. To illustrate this for you, I will move my own pop filter aside and say Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Now, I didn't pop any of those P's into the microphone because I'm not talking directly into the microphone. I'm talking past the microphone. The microphone is pointed directly at the area right outside of my mouth, and it's doing so from about a 45-degree angle to my right. If I were to talk directly into the microphone as I am now and say, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, then there are some mild pops in there. Some microphones have built-in pop protection already, Some don't. But your mic technique can mean that you might not need a windscreen or a pop filter. And also, if you're doing any kind of outdoor recording, that might affect your need for one of these. The third microphone accessory that you might need is a shock mount. This is what prevents shock noises from making their way into the microphone. Shock noises are also sometimes called handling noises. It's that low rumble that can make its way in from when you bump your desk, when you type on your keyboard, when there's any kind of vibration, if it makes its way into that microphone, that vibration can distort your recording. Because sound is vibration, and anything that vibrates is emitting some sound to some degree and on some frequency. So you want to prevent that from making its way into your audio recording. And that's what a shock mount does. It will suspend your microphone in this little spider-looking cage And it has things that look like hair bands, essentially, that hold the microphone there and absorb those shocks so that they don't make their way into the microphone. The microphone itself might shake a little bit, but the vibrations won't come in 
from around. So what I can do to illustrate this is I can move my microphone around, which I'm doing right now, and you probably can't even tell it because I'm not creating any vibrations. I can even pound on my desk a little bit and it's not making noise in the recording like you would hear if the microphone was hard mounted into a stand that's connected to my desk. But if I were to touch the cable that's at the back of the microphone, now you can hear some handling noise as I'm touching the parts that aren't protected against shock mounts. So a shock mount prevents that noise from making it into the recording. You don't need a shock mount. You can get away without a shock mount if you never touch the microphone, if you never touch anything that's connected to the microphone either. For example, if the microphone is on a standard stand and it's on your carpet, don't bump the microphone. But then if you're touching your desk or typing on your keyboard or anything like that, then it's probably not going to make its way into the microphone because they're not directly connected. But if your microphone stand is mounted to your desk, then when you type or if you click or you pound your desk, then that might make its way into the microphone. So again, your technique here may mean that you don't need a shock mount. The fourth microphone accessory you might want to consider is a preamp. Now, preamps can be in mixers, and I'll talk more about mixers in a moment. But the preamp is what sets the sensitivity of the microphone and gives it some amplification before it makes its way into your mixer or your recorder. The quality of the preamp can either introduce hiss or keep a clean signal. A good preamp does not filter out background noise. But what it does is gives you a clean boost of the audio signal coming in from the microphone. So if you have a mixer or recorder or something that has some really cheap preamps, you'll hear a constant hiss. Even if you're in a perfectly soundproof studio, you'll hear a constant hiss coming in, and that's from the preamp. But if you have a good preamp, then you can get a clean signal and not worry about that background hiss. The Zoom H4n, for example, as great of a recorder as it is, if you plug an XLR microphone directly into it, it introduces a lot of hiss because of the preamps in that recorder. Now, Zoom updated their preamps with the Zoom H5 and the H6, and those are a lot nicer for plugging a microphone directly into them. Most mixers, uh, even some of the sub $100 mixers from Behringer or Mackie are pretty good with their preamps. But you have to be really careful in that price range. But when you get up closer to a $200 mixer and such, you can usually depend fairly well on the preamps in the mixer, depending on the microphone you're using and how much gain that microphone needs. Think of it this way. The more gain you add, the more hiss you're potentially introducing into your recording. And that really applies for any time you raise the volume level. But certain good quality preamps like a DBX-286S or maybe something like a cloud lifter or a fat head can provide some very clean preamp, but at a pretty high price. So it may or may not be necessary depending on your particular setup. If you're going from microphone directly to your computer via USB, the microphone is the preamp. So you can't even consider adding a preamp in that process. These are some of the microphone accessories that you should consider for your audio podcasting studio, a mic stand or boom, a pop filter or windscreen, a shock mount, and a preamp. That's number two, microphone accessories. Number three, headphones. 
A good pair of headphones is really important for your podcasting for three reasons. Number one, to hear yourself. It's important for you to know how you sound in your microphone. This will help you know when you're too loud or too quiet, when you're too close or when you're too far. You need to be able to hear yourself through the microphone. Number two is so that you can hear what is and what isn't picked up by the microphone. This really helps you to know whether the microphone picks up that dog barking outside or your sniffle off mic, your typing, or that bump you made on your desk or when you moved the microphone or any other nearby or close sound. You may sometimes be surprised by what does and does not make its way into your microphone. Right now in my new studio office, I do have some noise coming from neighboring offices, some traffic noise from outside the window, and I've tried to filter from these things. I hear them myself, but I don't think I hear them through the microphone. And you could listen very carefully. In fact, here's what I'll do. I'll turn off my compressor limiter gate for a few seconds, and you can try and listen very carefully to see if you can hear the traffic noise. Here it goes. Three, two, one. The compressor limiter gate is now off for a few seconds. Now in the background, I heard without headphones, I can hear a plane passing by, I can hear traffic from an interstate nearby, I didn't hear any neighbors making noise, but you may not have heard that at all when you were listening during those few seconds of silence with the compressor limiter gate turned off. So that is something that I don't really need to worry about much because I don't hear that noise making its way through the headphones unless I listen very, very, very closely and I'm not making any noise whatsoever. Even then, I just barely hear it. So you are probably going to notice it more now that I've pointed it out. But if I hadn't pointed it out, you might not have noticed. The same thing applies to computer fan noise and such. You need to be able to hear what is and what isn't being picked up by the microphone because that can adjust your editing. You may not need to go back and edit certain things, or you may need to go back and edit certain things, depending on whether they did actually make it into the recording. The third reason to have headphones while you're recording is so that you can hear what you're supposed to hear. I really recommend that each participant in the podcast hear each other while you're recording your podcast, even if you're in the same room, because you need to be able to hear each other clearly as you're being heard through the microphones, because you might pick up something that the other person doesn't because of what you heard. And you need to be able to hear any sound clips that you play or remote participants that you have or voicemails or anything like that that needs to be in your recording. That's what headphones are good for. So you can hear yourself. So you can hear what is and what isn't picked up by the microphone, and so you can hear what you're supposed to hear. This is number three, your headphones. Number four, a recorder. The audio from your microphone needs to be recorded somewhere, obviously, and there are several ways that you can handle the recording, and here are my recommendations in order of the highest quality, the best stability, and the most reliability. Number one, an external digital recorder. The reason I recommend this is because it reduces a lot of things. It gives you a high quality. It's not susceptible to computer interference noise as much, and it won't crash readily on you. It's very reliable, very stable. So that's why 
most uh, professional podcasters often record into an external dedicated digital audio recorder. They don't have to have their computers doing that extra work. And when you're recording into your computer, you're always running the risk of increasing the CPU demand, which might increase the fan noise from your computer and thus decrease the audio quality of your recording. So offloading that to a dedicated device can work great. Your external digital recorder could be something like a Zoom H4 in, Zoom H5, Zoom H6, a Roland, or anything like that. But it could also be something like a mobile device, depending on the quality of the audio interface into that mobile device. But it could be like your smartphone, an iPhone, Android phone, an old one or a new one. It could be your tablet. It could be another computer, sure. It could be some mixers have recording built into the mixers. It all depends on your particular hardware and such. But this is the most stable, most reliable, highest quality method for recording using an external digital recorder. The second thing you could consider is a standalone recording software that you have on your PC, Windows, OS X, or Linux. That could be Audacity, Adobe Audition, it could be QuickTime on your computer, it could be anything like that on your PC. So you are recording directly into your computer, which can produce some noise, and it can certainly introduce some risk. Last week, I upgraded my computer to OS X El Capitan after they updated something that now makes Adobe Audition work in OS X El Capitan. And just before I was about to start the Podcaster Society webinar, where we talked about how to use Instagram to grow your podcast, your email list, your sponsorships, and we had a great conversation there with Todd Uderstadt from the podcast From Founder to CEO. That webinar is now exclusive to members of Podcaster Society, but we had this great conversation. No joke, 10 minutes before we were supposed to start the webinar. Todd and I were chatting because he came to my new studio and since he's from Cincinnati and we were about to go live and my computer crashed. An OS X kernel error, which I don't see very often. I don't know quite what caused it, but it crashed. If that was during my recording, I would have lost my recording. And even recording into the computer, there can sometimes be things that you might not be aware of that can start corrupting your recording. Like if something else starts running a backup, an antivirus scan, or anything like that could start consuming CPU cycles and mean that there are less CPU cycles for your uh, recording software, and then your recording might end up a little bit messed up because of that. So I don't recommend it, but it can work in many cases, depending on your setup. But definitely try to have a high-quality method that you're going from your audio equipment into your computer And I'll actually be testing and demonstrating some on my YouTube and video channels very soon. So you can subscribe to those at theaudacitypodcast.com. Subscribe on YouTube or iTunes for that video show that I do separately. Like I've got a couple Yamaha mixers, some cool devices from Shure and some other stuff that I'll be testing on that. The third thing that you could consider for a recorder would be your voice over IP or VoIP recording software on your computer. So like if you're using Skype, to handle your remote participant connection, you could get a Skype call recorder like Ecamm Skype call recorder, which I have an affiliate link for if you're interested in. Uh, You could get something for Windows, anything like that. So it's handling the recording from Skype as well as your voice as it's going to Skype. That can sometimes reduce the audio quality a little. 
I can notice it sometimes when people use the lower quality software that it does sound a little bit different, primarily probably because it's going into the computer instead of into a professional audio device. But it could also be because of the file compression settings in that program. The fourth thing that you could consider as a recorder would be your live streaming recording software that's recording on the internet. Software like Blab, Google Plus Hangouts on Air, and tools like that can handle your live streaming for you and handle the recording. So if you're using that to handle your recording, then you really need to be concerned about your internet bandwidth and your CPU usage. I had a case recently where I was live streaming something and a backup started running on my computer and that backup was uploading to the internet as well as hogging my CPU a little bit. And so that slowed down my live streaming and it corrupted my audio recording a little bit, which was being recorded by an internet service. So that's why it's my lowest recommendation. Yes, there are some great tools, Blab, Hangouts on Air, Spreaker, Mixler, other tools like that that can record through the internet. But I really recommend you record as locally as possible. So that's why that's my lowest recommendation for recording. But many people do record with these things and they get great quality depending on what kind of audio you're feeding it. Be very careful feeding music to these live streaming services because they're often designed specifically for voice. So if you feed it music, the music might sound really bad. If you have any remote guests or co-hosts, then your recorder must be able to capture all of those sources, not only yourself. That's why sometimes simply recording with Audacity might not be ideal if you have a co-host because Audacity, by default, can't record both you and your remote co-host through Skype or whatever VoIP you're using. You have to use extra tools in order to do that. So make sure that you can put your voice and your remote participants in your recording. And what's best really is to split them in some way so that your voice is separate from your remote participants. The easiest way to do that, that you can do with almost any kind of mixer or even software sometimes, is if you put your voice on one side and put your remote participants on the other side. So you're in, for example, the left track and your remote participants are in the right track. Don't publish it that way. That'll drive people crazy. But mix them together down to mono or center them both so that when you publish them, people hear both voices equally. But by having the tracks split, it gives you more control over your editing and the quality of your show. Like if your remote participants have some background noise that you don't have, you can mute them while you're talking and then mute yourself while they're talking. You can use software for that like a phonic multitrack now does an amazing job at this and the latest desktop multitrack program which i really like can now export separate tracks even though it's comparing them across each other for multitrack encoding and compression and gating and processing and all kinds of cool magic like that that it does behind the scenes these are things you need to think about with your recorder and that's number 4 number 5 a mixer A mixer is not mandatory for a successful podcast, but a mixer is designed to do one thing very, very well, and that is mixing. Yeah, as profound as that is, but a mixer can make a lot of complicated things much more simpler, and it can also enable you to do some things better. 
Most mixers give you the same basic mixing abilities, like combining your sources, that would be your multiple microphones, uh, soundtrack, and any other inputs, adjusting your volumes, like making real-time tweaks to the audio levels of any input or output, providing some preamps, which allow you to adjust the sensitivity of your microphones, combining or separating your outputs, like outputting to a recorder, to headphones, to live streaming, to an audio processor, to VoIP or phone or anything else like that. And sometimes a mixer can also add some effects, like tweaking the equalization, adding some compression, or adding some other kinds of crazy special effects like echo and reverb and such. You need a mixer when you need to mix things. It's not required, but when you start getting into things like having multiple on-site co-hosts, or live streaming, wanting to do mix minus, or playing sound effects live into your recordings, having a mixer makes this much easier because the mixer is designed to mix things. Can you hammer in a nail with a screwdriver? Yeah, you probably could. It'd take a little bit of work and you might damage the screwdriver from it. But when you use a hammer... It makes the job a lot easier. That's what a mixer is for. It makes certain mixing jobs a lot easier and gives you new abilities. So that's number five, a mixer. Number six, a live streaming interface. If you want to live stream your show over the internet, and you don't have to, but if you want to while you're recording, then that does add an extra layer of complexity. Not only are there all kinds of complexities that come along with live streaming, like managing a live chat room, what kind of technology do you use, where do you send people, and all of that. And some of these can be distractions, which might hinder you from presenting the message very well in your podcast, depending on your skill as a presenter and a communicator. But they can also add uh, some really cool benefits having all of these things. And that's why I like to live stream my podcast. I live stream the Audacity podcast on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash live. But as for your equipment, you need to be able to feed all of your audio sources, that is you, your participants, whether they're on-site or remote, and the, your soundtrack, like your sound clips, your music, your voicemails, call-ins, that kind of thing. You need to be able to feed all of that to a single output. And then that output connects to whatever live streaming interface you're using. So that could be your computer, your main computer, a separate computer. It could be a mobile device. It could be something else, maybe new and fancy. Your live streaming tool might integrate your remote co-hosts for you, like Blab, Hangouts on Air, Spreaker and such, can have these certain abilities that connect with Skype or they handle the VoIP for you so that people join that Hangout or they join that Blab or they join that whatever other thing. And then that's streamed out to the public. That means that you don't need to worry about sending your remote participant's voice back out to the live stream because the VoIP software is handling the live streaming for you. All you need to worry about is getting your voice and any sound effects that you play out to the live stream. And you might want to record those locally as well, just for your posterity. So you may need a separate interface for this, or you may not. One thing to consider is that live streaming does take CPU cycles. So if you're using a computer to both record and live stream, you might want to be careful. If you're live streaming video onto the internet, 
that can create a lot more CPU demand on your computer, depending on how old your computer is. But even new computers are going to see a big CPU spike when you're live streaming video. And certain services like Hangouts on Air or Blab that are video-based can really cause that CPU to jump. And a hot CPU needs to be cooled down, so that means a fan starts to run. And when that fan runs, that introduces new noise in your environment. So you do need to be careful of that and pick the right thing for you. I'm experimenting, actually right now when I'm recording this, I'm experimenting with live streaming from my iPhone out to Blab, so that way I have a video camera still pointed at me that's good quality. It's my iPhone camera, so that's pretty good quality. I do still have a lighting kit, but my computer fan is not running at all because I'm not putting a lot of demand on my computer. So whatever live streaming interface you use, a computer, your primary one or a secondary one, a mobile device or something else, that's something else you might need to consider for your audio podcasting studio if you're live streaming. It's totally optional, but do think about how you're going to do that. And that's number six. Number seven, an audio processor. Depending on what other equipment you're using you might need to do some additional processing, especially if you're doing any kind of live audio. Some of the other processing you might want to consider with either extra equipment or maybe using features built into some of the equipment you have are uh, some better preamps so you can reduce that hiss that's being introduced by your equipment, not background noise. This has nothing to do with background noise but that hiss that might happen from your equipment. It could also be your compression, smoothing out the dynamic range from your loud and quiet spots so that people don't have to turn up and down their volume as they're hearing you or your co-host speaking, but you're at about the same volume level. It could be limiting, like protecting the audio from getting too loud and causing distortion. It could be gating or expanding, which are essentially preventing noise and other sounds from being captured when you're not talking. Like when I stop talking right now, it's silence because that gate and expander are closing or making it so that you don't hear what else is going on. It's below a certain threshold. But while I'm talking, any noise in the background could be introduced. But when I stop talking, that noise stops because that gate closes and the expander takes over as well. You might need some additional processing like de-essing or EQ, that is equalization, like bass and treble effects and such, or any kind of other effects. These could be done in your audio in real time before going to your recorder. A downside to this is that if you mess up your settings with any kind of audio processor, it's baked permanently into your audio. Frequencies you can tweak with a little bit afterward, But when you're talking about gating and compression and some of that other stuff, you lose the ability to change that after the fact because you recorded that way. However, it can make your live streams a lot nicer. And that is the reason that I invested in my extra equipment like a Behringer MDX 4600 compressor limiter gate is because I wanted to make the live recording better, and I also wanted to prevent some of the crosstalk that can happen where the gate on my microphone closes when someone else is talking because their voice across the room and the reverb isn't enough to make the gate on my microphone open so we get a better quality recording. And that's one thing that you could consider regardless of whether you're live streaming. 
And this is number seven, an audio processor. The seven categories of ideal equipment for an audio podcasting studio are number one, microphones, number two, microphone accessories, number three, headphones, number four, a recorder, number five, a mixer, number six, a live streaming interface, and number seven, an audio processor. You may or may not need all of these. I put the most important things first and the least important things at the end. But depending on your setup, all of these might be equally important for you. Please go to the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash ideal audio for the links to some of these specific pieces of equipment that I recommended and to share your experience in what you found is necessary for your own podcasting studio setup. In the next episode, I'll be talking about video podcasting setup because video needs for audio can be completely different from audio only needs. So that'll be in the next episode of the Audacity to Podcast. I hope you can join me live at the audacitypodcast.com slash live Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern time. I want to say thank you to iPad for Work from Canada for leaving a kind review for the Audacity to Podcast in iTunes. They said, I went from being a mere fan of podcasts to launch ready because of this podcast extremely helpful. Well, thank you very much for that kind review. I really appreciate it. If you enjoy the podcast first, please tell someone else about it. That's the best way the podcast can grow. But you can also leave your own ratings and reviews in iTunes. Click on the iTunes link on the website, theaudacitypodcast.com. And if you'd like to get your own international podcast reviews from iTunes and Stitcher emailed to you automatically on a regular basis, then go to mypodcastreviews.com. It's the only service that sends you all of your international iTunes and Stitcher reviews for one or several podcasts. I created it to fill a need and a lot of podcasters are using it. That's at mypodcastreviews.com. I've got a great webinar coming up for Podcaster Society. I'll have details about that soon to my email list and I'll announce it here in the podcast when I'm ready. But you can check out the options and join the waiting list for Podcaster Society at podcasterssociety.com. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from the audacitypodcast.com and the ramen noodle on Twitter. Thank you for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find more at techpodcasts.com.